Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Alabama AgCast. Today, our guest will be Dr. Kim Mullenix, Associate Professor and Extension Specialist with Auburn University. Dr. Mullenix, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're going to jump right into it. And spring has sprung here in Alabama, if my allergies are telling me anything. And uh, that means warmer temperatures, uh, longer days, greener grass. Dr. Mullenix, as we talk today about forages and how they relate to hay production and cattle management and, and so on, just tell us where are we at in the forage production cycle here in Alabama? Right. So in Alabama, we're fortunate because we can grow forages nearly year round. But where we are here today, as it stands in April, is we're beginning to move into the transition from our cool season forages being productive into our warm season forages being productive. So right now, if you were to go out across the state, you may be able to see very productive tall fescue fields, as well as annual ryegrass and pastures. But over the next month or so, we'll begin to see the transition where our warm season forages really come on and become productive, which is where the majority of our hay production comes from. Great, great. So as we see those greener fields, those greener pastures, how do producers know when it's time to turn their cows out and and maybe what are the downsides of turning them out too early? Okay, that's a great question. So Understanding the appropriate time for turnout on grazing is very important from a forage production as well as from an animal production standpoint. So the first things that you can look at is one, just using overall height as an indicator. In most of our pasture systems, we would like to have a a minimum of a six to eight inch height range before we would want to turn cattle out onto pasture. So for our cool season forages, we're probably there in most parts of the state on those and we're able to use that lush cool season forage at this point in time. As that forage begins to decline and we start to see that warm season forage come out of dormancy, we do want to give it time to emerge and be able to reach that target height before we would turn out either for grazing or begin to think about clipping it for hay production. And then the downside there, uh, you know, know, would be overgrazing or you, you kind of get ahead of yourself there, wouldn't you? That's right. So overgrazing would be a situation where uh, we graze that pretty closely and we don't have a lot of regrowth that occurs because of that very close grazing management that occurred. So that is one potential issue. If we were to turn out a little bit earlier, then we graze that forage very closely at first and it might not be as productive for the next several weeks because of that intense grazing pressure. Great. And is that true for all of our warm season forage types, bahia grass, Bermuda grass, which would be common. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, I know those are some of our more popular grasses here in Alabama. What are some of the advantages of those? Are, do they differ slightly, bahia versus Bermuda? Or how do I know maybe as a, uh, a producer, if I'm looking to establish a stand, how do I even know which one to pick? So our warm season forages, we have several options in the state. And you mentioned a couple of the most predominant ones just then, which are our perennial grasses, that is the hay grass and Bermuda grass. And those have some advantages because they have a long growing season and they're productive 
during the warm months of the year. So really from this time of year where they're starting to emerge into the October timeframe is typically the production window of those. So they're very advantageous to us from a calendar year standpoint. We can grow them a large portion of the year. Also with a perennial grass, we don't have to come back and establish that every year. It's something that gives us longevity in our pasture system and it's a reliable forage we can come back to year after year. We also have annual forages though that can be grown in the warm season months. So some examples of those would be things like crabgrass, pearl millet, sorghums, and those can be used as a short season crop. So maybe where we want to supplement those warm season perennials that we have available, or if we're in a system where we have tall fescue and we don't have a great warm season option, we can plant some annual forages to give us short-term use, so maybe about a 60 to 90-day window of grazing or for hay production using those annuals. So how would a producer know to go the annual route or the perennial route? Uh, would it be up to them? Would it be whether they want to maybe uh, put that pasture into other types of production later? How, how, do you, how do they pick? Right. I would say that for most producers, we would like to see a combination of both. So a perennial forage base is gonna be what gives us our forages for the majority of the year. But we can use the annuals to complement those perennials when we have a time of need. So maybe we have a, a known forage production gap in this kind of spring to summer transition. So if I have tall fescue pastures and once those begin to kind of play out in the May, June timeframe, I could use an annual crop then to meet those early summer forage needs. So I think having a combination really gives us an advantage to meet that goal of grazing year round. And on that kind of planning for that combination, like you just spoke of, is that something that are we too late on that for the summer and fall months as far as planning and, and, and having a plan for that? Or should we have done it earlier or, or where, where should a, a producer be as far as those decisions are being made today? Right. So this time of year, we're in a good situation for planning to establish these warm season forages specifically. And so if you are considering that, really, there's several steps for that we can go through to make a decision about if I want to incorporate those warm season forages into my production system. Uh, so the first thing we can do is to go through and just review your current forage production system and say, where do I have a production gap? Uh, can an annual forage or a perennial forage help me better address my forage needs on my farm? Going through and assessing our current forage production basically looks like reviewing any soil test information we have to see if pastures are in good condition, if they're being as productive as they could be. Also assessing how strong the stand is currently. So do I have a lot of weed pressure? Is that something that I need to consider to get my pastures cleaned up and more productive? Or do I need to consider establishing an alternative area? So maybe I have a, a piece of land that I just purchased and I wanna try to make that more productive. I might consider trying to put in a different forage type in that area this time of year if I'm looking at a warm season forage option. Perfect. Let's take a break right there. When we come back, we'll talk about the five steps that you've mentioned before for higher yields and more profit, whether it be testing, seed, plant, managing, and harvest. But before we get to that, let's take a break and hear from our sponsor. 
It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit, and while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. And we're back. Dr. Mullinex here joining us from Auburn University. Dr. Mullinex, you talked about those five steps to a higher yield and more profit. Whether it be testing, the seed, the planting, the managing, harvest, all of those are important and, and no doubt they they are. Which of those stand out to you um, as, as uh, producers maybe sometimes lack on or, or maybe they could uh, step up their game or get more information on in order to make a higher profit this year? Right. So I think it really begins with just assessing what you have on your operation, as we mentioned before, starting there and figuring out where an alternative forage could come in, or maybe I could evaluate a new variety on my operation. And then starting small. So selecting an area where we know a forage can be successful and implementing a new forage type there could be a practice to help kind of level up our forage game as we go into this next production season. So with extension, we have several resources that can be of benefit to producers if you are considering maybe implementing a new forage type on your farm or just trying to improve the current stand that you have. You can access those on our website, which is www.aces.edu. And on there, we have information as it relates not only to soil testing and how to interpret that to improve your current forage production, but also resources related to selection of forage types that would be adapted to where you are in Alabama and appropriate seeding rates associated with those forage types. So all of that would be information that could help you successfully establish or improve the current forage production on your farm. Once you do that, really, there's several other things that we can do to improve forage production as well. We can fertilize according to those soil test recommendations to improve our overall forage production. With most of our grass-based systems, nitrogen and potassium are especially important for those to be able to reach our production potential and then timely management of those stands. That's especially critical from an animal production standpoint if we're looking at getting high quality forage, whether that's through grazing or through hay production. Timely grazing management or timely harvest management helps us get the best quality product we can to our animals. And Dr. Mullenix, tell us a, a little bit, we, we've gotten some calls here in the office and I'm sure you have as well about uh, feed prices and where they're headed and where they've been and uh, uh, we know that uh, from an input standpoint, that that can sure creep up on us as far as when those prices get high. Uh, does that even put that much more importance on having a, a plan from a, a forage production standpoint? Uh, what are you seeing feed price wise and, and how does that relate to the forage conversation that we've had thus far? I think that's a very timely question and it definitely relates to our conversation today about forage production and the importance of forage quality for that matter. So feed prices, as you said, have really skyrocketed. And that's especially timely for our beef producers right now who may be considering weaning calves and backgrounding calves this summer, as well as those who may be developing replacement heifers or in bull development systems where we really rely on those feed supplements to help get the performance that we need. With very high feed prices, most being close to $300 a ton even, 
I would say I think one way we can help reduce some of those feed inputs would be to focus on high quality forage production. If we can have very productive pastures or high quality hay that's going into the animal as part of these development systems, that can help reduce some of our supplementation costs. And so because of that, that may be one way to think about how to manage this time of, of high feed prices. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think most of us think about feeding hay in the fall to winter months, but the preparation on the front side of that and the type of quality hay that we're going to put up, that's all done now. And so I think if feed prices don't fall or if they continue to stay where they're at, uh, being proactive in the fields this spring and summer, I think will, uh, for those hay producers out there, will certainly help them put up high quality hay and, and hopefully uh, reduce some of that cost by putting up higher quality forage. So, uh, Dr. Mullenix, tell us, you, you gave us a few uh, uh, handoffs there as far as extension websites and publications. For those of, uh, of our listeners that, that may not be quite as tech savvy or that just want to talk to someone over the phone, who can they reach out to? Who is their best resource in getting information? I would suggest just calling your local county extension office. So the county extension coordinator there can help put you in touch with the appropriate point of contact to answer any questions as it relates to animal science and forages. We have an animal science and forage extension team that is made up of regional extension agents that are located around the state, and they are the local resource to help producers answer those questions related to forage production and animal performance on their operation. So those are, are great people to work with can certainly help you more specifically on your operation, come up with some of these strategies as it relates to management. Perfect. And if they even want to get more involved with the conference or uh, maybe some virtual learning as we're still in COVID times here, uh, I know you guys offer some resources throughout the year. Uh, we promote them on through the Cultivator and Neighbors Magazine and, and try to help you guys spread the word and and uh, I guess folks can visit the website for upcoming events. Is that true? That's right. So we are very focused on trying to provide educational opportunities for our producers as it relates to some of these management questions. And the last year, as you know, it's been a bit different with all of our COVID challenges, but things are changing. We're back out in the state and starting to do more in-person meetings, but we also have quite a bit of online options as well, whether that be a webinar or a discussion through a platform like Zoom, there's something for everybody depending on your level of comfort. Well, there's plenty of resources out there for those that are willing to put in the time and, and continue to improve their operation. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably one of those people. So thank you, Dr. Mullinex, for taking time to join us on this week's episode of the Alabama AgCast. We appreciate uh, you being here. Thank you. That wraps us up for this week's episode. Hope to see you soon. And now, your weekly ag cash wrap up. Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to today's wrap up on the Alabama AgCast. I'm Russ Durrance, Dairy Division Director at the Alabama Farmers Federation, here to share a little news about the 13th annual Dairy U that was held at Auburn University in early April. Dairy U is a one day course for students ages 5 through 19 where they're able to learn about the dairy industry as well as Auburn University's Animal Sciences Department. At the one-day workshop, students were able to participate in a demonstration where they learn how to pull a calf, care for animals, and make ice cream. 
During this year's Dairy U, the students were also able to participate in a calf show and learn how to show dairy animals. For more information about animal livestock or getting your youth involved in animal agriculture, please reach out to your local extension agent. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.